This is the California Liberty Project Podcast. So welcome back to the California Liberty Project Podcast. I appreciate everyone joining us here once again. Um, I'm really pleased to have some great guests, Um, a great story here today that we're going to talk about. You know, on this podcast, we've been covering in the past two to three months, especially some of the parental rights issues, some of the, um, the liberty issues in our schools, some of the free speech issues, certainly, and parental notification and some of the gender identity situations in our school districts around the state and specifically in schools, you know, middle schools, high schools, we've talked about those issues uh, with great guests. And once again, today, we're going to be joined by, again, really interesting uh, guest with a very interesting story to tell. And that guest is Jessica Tapia, joined as well by Bethany Onyshenko, her attorney. And uh, you're probably familiar with Jessica's story, but for those of you who are not, we're going to get into that story. But, um, Jessica is what I would characterize personally as a warrior, a citizen warrior who has become um, an advocate for rights of expression, uh, the rights of conscience, um, your free expression of your faith, uh, free speech, certainly, and uh, sanity in our schools, if I may uh, put that in there. And also, uh, Jessica hosts, is, is hosting a podcast called Our Watch. And so I want to welcome both Bethany and Jessica to California Liberty Project. Thank you. Thanks yeah, for having us. Thank you very much for joining us. So I kind of alluded to uh, a little bit of your story, Jessica, but from my understanding, um, your story is essentially Southern California high school teacher, physical education teacher, um, and that's what your educational background and training is in, um, you're credentialed in that, and had been a a um, well-thought-of and respected employee um, from the accounts that I've seen. And you're a person of faith, with a a Christian faith, and I think that probably plays a role. I'll let you um, fill in between the lines on that. But Mm -hmm. essentially, my reading of the situation um, is that you were fired for not going along with concealing um, certain students' gender identity situations, whether that was changing, whether that was different than the birth certificate, or, or different possibly from a parent understanding, that this was one of the main issues that came about in your situation. You were fired um, for your beliefs and for speaking out and for your actions with regard to certain individuals, certain students. Um, is that is that a basic framing that's accurate? Is that fair? And then um, please kind of walk us through the events that that led to this controversy and, and your firing. Yeah, so I was essentially fired for speaking out against and refusing to comply with three directives that my school district put um, specifically on me. And they were put specifically on me, actually, after students had decided to look me up on social media. There they found my Christian conservative views that I'm just very, very open about and loud and clear about on my social media, which had and has no you know, connection with my job as a teacher. Um, they, they found my views there. And, you know, 14, 15-year-olds, I'm assuming possibly from 
the LGBTQ community. They took my, you know, conservative views on various things going on in the world as hate and um, sent it into the school district. And so I was immediately pulled out of my class and put on paid administrative leave. This was back in um, May. Oh my gosh, it's been, I'm like, was it May this year or last year? It was May last year, right? 2022. It's like time has left me since I stopped (laughs) being a teacher. Um, Yes, it was right before summer break. And so I was put on administrative leave and I, I never returned. This whole ordeal lasted about seven months. Um, and so several of my posts were sent into the school district. What was most disturbing about that is several of them were actually Bible verses or quotes of my faith. And my district literally presented me with my own posts, like printed out as exhibits along with allegations. And I, I've never been like more shook up in my life because I'm like the last person that one would think of having an allegation made against them. I've always been just like a rule follower, a straight A student in school, just like, you know, a a good person. I mean, I I try for the most part, but, um, you know, really last year I did feel the Lord telling me to, to use my voice more. Our voice is really our weapon in this warfare, and there's very much an obvious spiritual warfare happening. And so kind of, I guess, the the first most comfortable place to do that was, you know, on my social media page, and I was just, you know, sharing things. And so, yeah, that was all sent into the district, and that is when um, they decided that me posting my views on on social media and making students feel whatever way it made them feel was was very wrong on my part. And I was just barely being allowed to come back to work. But now I would have to come back and follow these directives. So that's when just like everything took a turn for me because I learned that I would now have to call students by whatever their preferred pronoun, you know, or gender is. And mind you, I had never had a student um, ever come up to me and and tell me they were transitioning or asking me to call them by a new pronoun. I had never even experienced that as a teacher. Okay, because I was I was Uh, curious about that. Like, is this like a, a solution in search of a problem, as they say? Or yeah, like you're saying, you never even had a student like that before. Okay. Um, interesting. Right. Yes. So it was really all like directives uh, they were giving me based on hypothetical situations. So they were saying hypothetically, you know, if you're ever in a situation like this, this is how you will have to, you know, perform. And so that was the first one. And it just kind of, you know, began to convict me because I'm like, well, that's, that's, lying you know that's lying to a student that's going along with the lies and confusion that a child is dealing with like i'm not going to be comfortable with that and then it just got worse um they then said that i would have to withhold that information from parents if um if a student ever came to me with you know a new pronoun or gender preference in the case that their parents might not yet know for the sake of student safety and privacy. So this is just like 
just sounding crazy to me because I'm thinking like, since when did we start like assuming that parents are bad and parents won't keep their students safe? And also these are children. So that the privacy word really threw me off as well. Um, so I'm just, I'm feeling, feeling worse and worse as I'm hearing these directives. And then um, the third one that I, that I um, refused, and this one actually ended up being dropped. And I, sometimes I leave this part out because it's just, there's just so much in my story. But the third one was that I was to refrain from there on out from speaking to students about God or the Bible. I had let wow. my um, district know. Yeah. Um, Cause Some one first of the allegations. Was, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. That's one of the allegations against me, I guess from students was that I spoke to my students about God and the Bible. And I'd let my district know if they come to me with a question, I give them the answer from an educational standpoint, as I'm allowed to do. Like I went to school for this. I know how I can legally bring my faith in. And so um, but they said, mm -mm, not anymore. From here on out, you tell them like it's not the time or place. And so that really that one like hurt me because I'm thinking like that that child could very much not have anyone else to give them, you know, this answer that they're looking for. And, you know, it's actually according to my faith, it says that I should be ready with an answer for the hope that I have for anyone that comes asking. Sure. So those directives were put on me. I was in turmoil. I left that. That was my second second meeting now with my district. I had three meetings in total with them, with my, my union reps next to me. And I left that meeting in turmoil because it was essentially like I was given an ultimatum. Follow these directives to keep your job. And if you don't follow them, you're done because you've already messed up by posting your Christian conservative views on your social media. Strike one. So I, I go home and I'm a wreck and I'm like, okay, I have a big decision to make, but I don't want to make it out of emotion. So um, I think my mom was like, hey, like you can, you can take stress leave. How about you do that? And I was like, okay, that's a great idea because I definitely need time and I'm very stressed out about this. So I actually went on stress leave for three months. And, you know, during that time, just really prayed and sought counsel and was just really trying to figure out what is what is the best decision here? Because it, it essentially felt like I had three options, put my head in the sand and follow these, you know, directives that I was very convicted over. Um, and that obviously many other teachers were, were following, which was really bizarre for me to think of. Um, and, and it felt lonely, you know. And um, sure. so that, you know, option number one, just go along with it. Option number two, walk away, resign, um, which I never wanted to like ever purposely put my job on the line and lose it. I mean, my family lived off my teacher income. Um, so that was the second option, so to say. And then third was to just speak up, right? Use my voice and say, I'm ready to come back to work. But there are a few things you're asking me to do that I cannot do. It is against my beliefs and, and my faith and, and what I believe is good, right, and true for students. And so um, 
at the end of my three months of stress leave, you know, I just, I think I said one last final prayer, like, God, please make it loud and clear what I'm, what I am to do. And he did, he definitely did. And, and the answer was to just say, I, I won't comply with these three directives and here's why. And so I sent an email to my district. That's exactly what I did. I, I laid out those three that I described to you. I, you know, spoke from my faith when I said why I wouldn't be able to do them. And they responded and said, it sounds like you're asking for a religious accommodation. So come on in to the, this was now my third meeting this January, and we will see if and how we can accommodate your religious beliefs. So I was like, okay, awesome. This sounds great. Like we're going to, we're going to work this out, you know? And I go into that meeting and I was questioned up and down on my faith on Christianity. It was one of the most bizarre experiences of my life. Like, where do you go to church and what do you read and how often do you read it? And, you know, what about your faith says you can't do these things and just so many questions. And it it really felt like they were trying to get me to, to um, change up my stance. You know, my, I already had given them my clear answer and it, it felt more like in that religious accommodation meeting that they were trying to see where they could get me to bend and so I just kept standing firm in in my faith and in the answer I had already given them regarding those directives. And at the end of that meeting, they said, is there anything else we need to know about that you won't do um, in your position because of your faith? And I said, yeah, I'm in a unique position. I'm a PE teacher. So I'll just let you know now I won't be allowing a male into my female locker room and they said we have a whole other issue then you have to it's if a student is now saying they are female presenting like they're transitioning you would need to let them enter <laughs> and i just couldn't believe it like i didn't think it could get worse and then it did and and i remember two of the males in the room like they have daughters and they like sat back in their chair and put their head down and I'm just, it really made me realize in that moment, and and my my pastor has preached on this, and he actually preached on this two years ago, and it was, so it was before I walked through all this, and I realize now, like, why that sermon hit, it struck me so hard, and it stuck with me, because it's something I really heavily relied on as I walked through this, but cowardice, cowards, I mean, the amount of people who are cowards, but even the amount of Christians who are you know, living cowardly. It's just, we can't and won't be set apart like we are supposed to be as salt and light of the world if we cower, you know, in situations like this. And so I, that really helped me to, you know, not be a coward in that situation. Like I think, sadly, a lot of teachers are doing to save their job. Um, And so, yeah, it, it really hit me how many people are living cowardly lives. I mean, even men with daughters who wouldn't obviously want a boy entering their girl's locker room is just. Exactly. And if I may, if I may jump in with a question or a point, um, you know, I, I know it's, uh, you're in California, but like almost any school district, probably in the nation, I'm guessing, and I don't know specific to your district, but probably more than half of the people there would profess to be Christians. So it strikes me as, um, absolutely incredible that the school district personnel or leadership that brought you in for this struggle session, 
uh, or grilling. It's incredible that mm-hmm. they pretend that this is some kind of exotic faith that's um, unknown to this culture, right? Even in California. Now, you're not in San Francisco. You're not in Santa Monica or Berkeley. But nonetheless, it's, it's, it's just amazing that we're pretending that we don't know that more than half of the, the people there, probably two-thirds or at least culturally Christian, or Judeo-Christian, I'm guessing 80%. Yeah. I don't know the numbers, right? But they're going yes. through this whole like kabuki theater pretend dance that they don't know what this Christian re- religion is. Um, right. Anyway, I just thought I'd throw that in there. It's, it strikes me as amazing, and I don't want to say comical because this is not really funny, but um, <laughs> a little bizarre, maybe? Surreal? Yeah. No, I, I know exactly what you're saying. And, and to add to that, I... I believe what the issue really is, is yes, you know, for the most part, people know like, you know, what our country was founded upon. And we do like Christianity is like the religion of this country. However, where we've gone wrong is we have like many people have told me (laughs) as of lately, since my story went viral, that I should keep my beliefs in the church. And that is actually, I believe, where Christians have gone totally wrong is they keep they've kept their beliefs in the church they've they've lived like the church is a building when it's not i mean the whole point of our beliefs is for them to to change and impact every way we live our life we don't the great commission yeah yeah yeah, we don't just withhold our christianity from like certain sectors of our life like it should infiltrate the you know every part of our life and impact the way we speak act think everything and so that's where i think the world is like when you know someone like like myself stands up and is like okay i'm not only a christian like a profess professing christian i'm doing my best to like live up to my faith and what god has called me to do as a follower of his and that part is where i think we're shaking people up because they're like, whoa, whoa, it's fine if you're like Christian internally, but like, if you're going to try to like bring it external and, you know, um, have it change the way you, you know, I guess, obey your boss. And that's the thing is we have the law of man and we have the law of God. And that's essentially what my story comes down to is like, those things came head to head for me. And really I, I remember very much being in that moment and it being like, okay, just like, it's simple. Who are you going to obey? God or man? And you didn't uh, sufficiently hide your views under a bushel basket, so to speak. You know, it's, it's amazing too with the, and you were alluding to this point, but kind of the, um, just the comfort in our society. We've all gotten so comfortable. It's easy to maybe go to your church, your parish on a Sunday, keep it there one hour a week, maybe, you know, an hour and a half, whatever your service may be for your denomination, go do it on a Sunday, then then live the rest of your life in our secularized society, right? Just keep church in church or whatever the quote was that they said, you know, keep it there and don't let it interfere with secular society, right? Don't let it get in the way or pollute when really it's supposed to be vice versa, right? Um, our, our core religious values and virtues are supposed to define and obviously influence society itself too. And I, you made a bunch of great points there, but I was thinking about this weird inversion of the first amendment that we have now where people have talked about this, you know, ad nauseum, certainly, right. This is not my original point, but you know, 
one of the five fundamental liberties that's protected, um, not not given to us by or not created by, but just protected and recognized by uh, the First Amendment, of course, is um, where we have free expression, you know, we freedom to practice our religion, right? And mm-hmm. that doesn't, you know, it's funny because now it's inverted to, um, okay, well, you're allowed to practice it here, here, and here. It's like, no, no, no. It just basically means that the government, you know, certain governments, particularly in the Constitution, it's the, the national government. State governments actually, ironically, were accepted from this. But the new national government that, um, you know, Madison and Wilson were so keen on creating, they wanted to make sure that there wasn't a state and official national religion, right? But it's funny now because when you speak up, it's kind of like, oh, no, you're not allowed to talk about religion. And it seems to me as a very strange inversion of why we had the religious uh, clauses in the First Amendment. Um, anyway, that's, that's what came to mind with, with some of the things you were saying. It's just, again, it's surreal, uh, very bizarre. Yeah. yeah, in in my, essentially, so after that religious accommodation meeting, um, you know, the ball was in the court of the district. I had, you know, answered all of the questions they had for me. They were at that point to determine if they could accommodate me. And um, they actually had even offered for me to give accommodation suggestions, which I was like, okay, like certainly I'll do that again. I'm trying to keep my job. I emailed them some accommodation ideas I had. And essentially a week later after that meeting, so again, this is this was late January, I of this year, I just got an email from them with like a PDF and it was several pages long, but very last page, like in bold writing, it it literally said, we cannot accommodate your religious beliefs. Therefore, we're releasing you from employment official January 31st. And I remember reading those words and it just, it just seemed so surreal to me. I think one of my first thoughts was like, what country is this? <laughs> I thought we yeah. were in America. Like religious liberty is like one of the main things we were founded upon. And now right. I'm being fired. I mean, my district has actually always um, loved hiring. So California Baptist University is like 10, 15 minutes from the, the school district I was working for. Um, only school district I've ever worked for. I was a student at, I met my husband there, all the things. I've coached, substitute yeah. taught, and they, they've they always liked, it's interesting when I think of this, they've always loved hiring CBU students. I mean, several students that I went through the credential program with ended up teaching for the district. They always claim to love California Baptist students. And then it's like, well, then they go and fire me, one of the California Baptist students. And again, I think it's just, you know, people are having to realize like, they they're not just professing they're Christian anymore. Like we are at a time in our culture, in society where we're having to really like pick a hill that we're going to die on and like really decide if we're going to like live out this faith that we proclaim. Yeah. Uh, Well, that's, that's absolutely well said and and it's critical. Um, Bethany, can I ask you a question? I I was going to say, certainly we have, you know, the incorporation of the First Amendment, you know, it, it's now it's now understood. And, you know, no matter what someone's stance is on this, the First Amendment, at least at the national level, has been incorporated and applied to all the states as well. But even more fundamentally, my understanding is that 
some of these religious um, liberties are recognized and protected in California's constitution as well. I think right up in the the first article, the first section, I believe. So, um, is this something that can be that can be fought on on more than one front? I mean, not just federal courts, but also state courts, or or maybe that's the next part of the story we're gonna we're gonna get to. Yeah, that's correct. You could you could fight it on either the state court or the federal front. Um, obviously, we're doing that. Um, we're fighting it on, on the federal front here, but we are also bringing um, claims under the California Fair Employment and Housing Act, which also further protects religious liberties. So we are bringing some California law into this um, that also further protects Jessica. And um, so we've got a, a lot of valid claims here, obviously, the First Amendment, the Due Process Clause, um, the Fair Employment and Housing Act. So we've got a lot of strong claims that protect Jessica from the discrimination that she faced. And so we're, we're excited to see how this turns out and confident that we're going to be very successful based on her Good. facts. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Jessica, I was, I was going to ask you as well. I was thinking about you know, a lot of the other um, Christian or even more broadly, just religious um, people, um, colleagues that you had at the high school and in the school district. Um, and I'm not, I'm not calling them out by any stretch, but my question here is, um, it seems like a lot of them should be standing up as well because you might have some colleagues that have very similar Christian views to you or even just traditionalists. You could have, I don't know, Orthodox Jewish colleagues that have similar uh, cultural uh, views and social views to yours. Have have any of them had had trouble as well? In other words, are students going and looking at John Doe or Jane Doe's, uh, your friends, um, social media, God forbid, and I don't want to put ideas in their head, but it seems like it wouldn't just be you, one teacher out of, I presume, many dozens or hundreds. Um, is this affecting other teachers and have other teachers kind of stood up in solidarity? So, after I was fired this January, something interesting did happen where my school district brought forth a training called uh, transgender and uh, or LGBTQ and transgender inclusivity, something along those lines and brought this forth in March of this year. And I had probably like seven teachers from the district reach out and they're like, just this is because of you. Um, we never get a training in March, right before summer. And, um, you know, the timing's strange. Obviously, the topic is right along, like, why they fired you, which I had never, at that point, as a teacher for that district, undergone a training like that. It was all always the typical, like, mandated reporter training. Um, right. And then just, like, uh, one about, like, you know, harassment in the workplace. And I think that's it. Like, that's the only trainings, you know, at my point in my teaching career that I was, you know, consistently doing each year. So after firing me, then my district pushes this out and um, teachers began to go through it, realized, oh, man, to pass this, uh, we have to pass a quiz at the end and to pass the quiz we would have to lie about how we would handle these hypothetical situations with, you know, LGBTQ gender identifying students. So they're like, they did, they reached out and they said, what do we do? And I was like, you know, I'm always going to suggest for people to do exactly what I did, even if it it ended up causing me my job, but we're not going to, you know, be able to change the landscape of things unless we start speaking up. And so I just said, let the district know that, 
you know, you can't, you can't lie just to pass this test about how you would handle these hypothetical situations with students. And so they one by one began letting the district know of that, um, you know, issue they were having with that training. And we were all kind of like holding our breath, right? Because I, I let them know, you know, when I were essentially went through a religious accommodation with them, they didn't accommodate me. And these teachers were voicing to me, we have the same beliefs as you, like we stand with you. And so, you know, we were all just kind of like, we don't know if they're going to be the next teacher to go down, but the district accommodated them. They said, you don't have to do the, the like quiz portion where you're normally required to, you know, pass a hundred percent to get the like certificate for the training. They said, just go through like the modules and that's it. Like you're excused from the question part. So that was interesting. Um, That was victory for them. Definitely. They were accommodated in that, that situation there. I mean, that definitely doesn't, um, you know, write off the actual directives that like were placed on me. And I would most definitely assume the district also expects of all, all their other teachers as well. The unique thing is like, there was never like this announcement made, you know, to all the teachers like, hey, we have transgender policies now. This is what you're going to do, you know, or you'll lose your job. Like we never had yeah. that announced. Like you mentioned uh, before we, we started the podcast, you were like AB 1266. That's been around for what, like 10 years now, but like no one really knew about it or talked about it until yeah. now. I've had lots of conversations. Yeah. And it's never come up, but Sorry, I wanted yeah, to throw that it, in there. It's just like, oh, I, I wasn't aware. You know, we're talking about Chino Valley and I've talked with Sonia Shaw and lots of other great guests. We're having these conversations and then I'm reading about your case and I see AB 1266 invoked. And I was like, 1266? I kind of looked it up. I'm like, huh, maybe this is what some of the districts that are hemming and hawing saying, oh, we're going to get sued. We can't do this. And I yes. thought they were totally making it up, but maybe there's some kind of I don't think they should back down, but maybe that's what they're kind of um, head nodding to, you know, this AB 12. Yeah, a lot of people are, a lot of people in districts are just really resting on AB 1266, which I feel like just kind of got slipped in when there, when we weren't really at that point at all, seeing this just like huge wave of, of gender identifying. 2014. Really I, I don't want to interrupt. All- yeah. 2014. Go ahead. But yeah, it's nine, almost 10 years ago. I mean, yeah, I was still, I had just graduated with my bachelor's degree. I hadn't even decided to become a teacher yet. And I mean, had I known that AB 1266 was a a thing and could, you know, really highly impact my career as a teacher, I mean, things could have looked differently. But again, no one was talking about it. No one was concerned about it at that point. And I think it's because maybe for the people that did see it, they were like, huh, like that's, that's never going to be a, you know, like a boy trying to enter a girl's locker room. And here we are, like it's happening in most districts, most school districts right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely right. I think back in 2014, you're right. People would have said, yeah, that'll never happen. You know, maybe that was right at the onset of it. And then look where we Mm -hmm. are now, um, full cultural revolution mode. Um, Mm -hmm. So I saw also that Assemblyman Bill Asaley 
has been active on this front. I think he's been very good on this front on parental notification, parental rights, and these kinds of issues as well, compelling teachers to speech, compelling teachers to violate their rights of conscience. Um, are you aware of any any success he's had on that front? Or maybe maybe we'll see, I think there were some efforts um, this legislative session, but maybe next uh, next season when they begin the new session in, in 2024, maybe hopefully we'll see a bill um, so although I that, know it'll I, be tough, even if he's leading yeah. on this, it's going to be a tough slog in the assembly, right? Yeah, no, I'd really love to share with you about um, Protect Kids California, I think is the exact name of okay. it and really share with all of your, yeah, protectkidscalifornia.com. So um, this is is an organization that's come together to try and get three statewide ballot initiatives in California that are going to require parent notification from schools, protect girls' sports and spaces, and then also prevent child sterilization. So we actually next month are going to really start um, like spreading the word on this. We have to get like 500,000 signatures, you know, to get these just even on the ballot. And then from there, you know, hope and pray, which is just crazy to me that someone wouldn't, but, and, and we, there's actually polling on the website. I don't, I'm on it now. Um, but it's definitely hmm. a great website to check out and follow along with protect kids, California, but the, the website has polling that's already been done. That shows that the majority, you know, of people, um, you know, don't want these things happening. So sure. Anyways, that is, that's something big um, okay. coming down the pipeline and you'll probably yeah. hear more of it's, I mean, we have Chloe Cole, you know, that endorses it, Riley Gaines, um, a lot of people. So really Good. hoping, yeah. I'm hoping on those because that could really help change the, the landscape of things here. No, that is that is really good. I had seen little bits and snippets of that, I think, on social media. But once again, that's protectkidsca.com or is it California yes. or both maybe? Yes, protectkidsca.com. Okay. Yep. Very cool. And on social media, I assume Instagram, probably yep. all the, the main socials. Yep. Okay, mm -hmm. very good. Um, so let me ask you in the, the couple minutes here we have remaining, um, What's your path going forward? Um, if you feel comfortable sharing that, go back to teaching eventually or go into advocacy. Um, obviously, you've got the the podcast. You're you're hosting the Our Watch podcast and probably doing a lot of other things. Uh, where do you go from here, Jessica? Yeah, I mean, I've I've definitely been busy. Um, I don't I don't want to write off, you know, my my career and my degree in teaching. Um, God's definitely like given me the gift of teaching, but I think something I've had to, you know, come around to is in this season I'm in where, you know, I'm in a lawsuit and it's just like this waiting game and I have no idea what's going to happen. We've asked for my job back. We have again, no idea what's going to happen. Um, you know, I've had to, and someone, someone spoke into me, said this and really helped me just feel better, but they were like, you're still teaching you're still teaching, but you have different students now. And I was like, whoa, okay. So really, I've, sure. I've really heavily just, my heart has been inspiring and emboldening other teachers. And um, that's definitely been happening. I mean, I get a message from a teacher every other day, you know, just 
wanting to share something with me or seeking guidance or, you know, prayer or support or, you know, legal help. And so I'm just really standing in support of teachers right now. And um, in our local community, we had several teachers who, um, you know, got brave enough to finally leave the teachers union, which could be like a whole other podcast. Um, It's a very Mm. corrupt union. And I actually got to see firsthand because I was a part of them because I didn't know I had a choice not to be, which you do. Um, And so, you know, they were with me there in my meetings and, you know, I didn't feel really tried to save my job. Um, They actually told me that I should they, they seem to really reiterate the district and said, I should just go teach at a private Christian school. And, you know, that's like, I take offense to that because I'm like, so you're saying that you don't believe Christians should be anywhere in the public square. Like you think we should have just our own. Right. Everything, you know, school, you need to be fenced off in like a, a ghetto, so to speak. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, what kind of thinking is that? Yeah. And I've never, I've honestly never had the desire to, I never had the desire as a teacher to go teach at a, a Christian school. You know, I wanted to be in the, the public education setting. I, I went through public school, um, you know, and I wanted to pour right back into what I came out of, but man, things look different than when I was a student. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, even going back to what you were saying about how you would interact with students, I just, I keep coming back to how appalling it is that there are people in quote authority who are basically telling you what you can have a conversation on. You know, it's not, it's not forcing the student to convert. It's not even proselytizing. It's literally telling you, you may not talk about X, Y, or Z because you are a Christian. And to me, that's once again, complete inversion of our liberties guaranteed in the first amendment and the California constitution. It's disgusting and, you know, we're, we were talking about like the, uh, the sensitivity training that, that you had to have to, because we all have to have it now, right? For the 0.2% of the population that identifies as whatever, uh, trans or LMNOP, whatever it is this week. How about sensitivity training for the dominant culture in this country? Because if that's so foreign and that's so alien to these school yep. district uh, hacks, how about they learn some sensitivity for two thirds of the country? Why don't they learn about what Christianity is other than a Christmas tree once a year where you all go and gorge and, you know, consumerism. That's what I was thinking. I mean, sorry, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it's like, let's, let's encourage that to happen. Let's flip it. I'm with you. I, I'm at the point where it's like, okay, if we can't get this stuff and there's other people I've conversed with that are, are thinking along these same lines, but if we can't get this stuff removed out, you know, so the, the pride flags that are in classrooms on school campuses and, you know, the pornographic books and, you know, the compelled speech, like if we can't get this stuff retracted, which it should be, and that's really the ultimate goal, then we, we cannot give up there. We then need to come in with like, okay, let's, let's really, let's really be equal then. Okay, you're going to have a pride flag right there. Well, we're going right. to put up a straight flag. Like, let's yeah. really, because there's, there has not been a lot of equality going on from the people that scream equality. Um, sure. And so if we can't to get this stuff removed, I think we need to get a little more creative maybe. And yeah, okay, we're going to go 
we're going to go through a transgender training. Well, we're also going to go through a, you know, how to be sensitive to Christian students. Because yes. I know for a fact that a lot of them are feeling very, you know, scared right now, very unheard, very unseen in this. Yeah. So. And as much as what you were talking about, too, if there's a, a pride flag or this, that, or the other, at the bare minimum, then there should be, you should be allowed to put a, a cross on your wall or a crucifix or some kind of Christian symbology. If we're going to have this near pornographic material because it has to do with inclusivity, um, which I know a lot of gay and lesbian people who don't want that at all. There are a lot of sane yeah. gay and lesbian people who don't want this stuff. But okay, if we go along with it, if we have to have these weird, strange books that are teaching 10, 11, 12 year olds about gross, inappropriate things in a school library, okay, well then how about, uh, how about you put the Bible at least side by side, or I would argue in a place above that, but at the very least, can we have parity? Can we have that equality that you're referring to? Yeah. And we say this rhetorically, but it's like, well, yeah, of course, there should be, there could be a Bible in a school library. Doesn't mean everyone has to become a Christian, but it means there it is side by side, at least with the other weird books that are there, you know? Um, and again, it comes back to this inversion. It's like we almost punish um, the Christian religion, punish Judeo-Christian topics. Uh, we, we put them beneath radical new cultural concepts. And um, again, it, yep. it's, it's incredible. Well, um, I thank you very much for, for your time here. I want to honor our time commitment. Um, once again, the host of Our Watch, and then do you have any other social media, any other websites or any other um, places where listeners to this podcast could and should connect with you uh, and follow your work, Jessica? Yeah, I'm, I'm most active on Instagram, even though I'm pretty shadow banned at the moment. Um, but on Instagram, I'm, I'm Jessica Tapia. So I am Jessica Tapia spelled out. I'm most active there. Um, I'm also on Twitter or X. I'm very new there. I'm trying to figure it out. Um, but I'm there as real, real Jess Tapia because... Yeah, people have already tried to impersonate me. <laughs> so oh, congratulations. You have impersonator oh. accounts. Wow. Oh, you have I've arrived. Doxed. I've been doxxed. I'm on like this doxing website and it's like all of the Temecula, Murrieta, like warrior, freedom fighter type of people that like show up to school board meetings and speak out like we're all we've all been doxxed. Like they're like wow. we know That's where incredible. you live, where you work. It's it's one of those things I've had to just kind of let it roll off my shoulders because it's just like, what do you do? It's disturbing. <clears throat> I don't though, know I how imagine. people have time for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook too. Just Jessica, okay. Ta Jessica Shana Tapia, I think on, on Facebook. Um, so yeah. Cool. Well, I really appreciate your time and um, you know, I'm, I'm rooting for you in your corner. Um, hopefully we can talk again in the future with some good news, some updates on your case, but uh, yeah. you know, we respect where you're coming from. Cause I think people who are convicted and are faithful people absolutely need to step up and just not be hammered down. I mean, now is the time, right? But um, thank you also Bethany for your time. Thank you, Jessica. I really appreciate it. This has been the California Liberty Project Podcast. Make sure to subscribe, share it with others, and follow us on Instagram and Twitter.